Today is a unique Sunday in our church. Uh, if you were here last week, you know that we're taking a brief hiatus from our Luke series and doing a bit of a brief refresher on the topic of marriage and family, where we were two years ago at the beginning of 2020 before life was turned upside down. And you don't need me to tell you that we live in challenging times, difficult times even, for relationships and particularly those closest to in our homes, marriage and family. Last week, we looked at Colossians chapter three, and I'm gonna invite you to turn there and you're gonna wanna keep your Bibles open for the duration of our time here. Colossians chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We have a few hosts who would love to give you a Bible that you can refer to uh, what is read and what is said here. And that is a gift to you if you don't own a Bible uh, on loan. If you do, you can just turn it in at the end. And if you need a worship program, you can either raise your hand and get one from them or online, gracepolaris.org slash program to follow along today. We were in Colossians 3 verses 18 and 21 or 221 last week looking at uh, God's directives through Paul to wives and husbands and children and parents, maybe the most succinct set of commands about family life in all the Bible. But just before those verses are some of the most important verses in all of Scripture because they describe how the family of God, how the local church in our relationships with one another should act when the gospel has penetrated our hearts. This is the DNA of relationships with Jesus. This is the lifeblood of the gospel through us. And we read about it in those verses. I want you to just look there. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, I'll read. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message or word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Look closely there. Verse 12, five characteristics of healthy relationships. Not seen much in the world, but should be pervasive in the church. Verse 13, the centrality of forgiveness. Why is that? Because forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. Verse 14, love is described as a kind of glue for transformed relationships, the kind that puts the other person above oneself. Verse 15, peace and thankfulness. Th those are two things that seem to have gone into hiding in our culture, haven't they? Peace and thankfulness. And yet those are at the heart of what it means to know Jesus Christ. Verse 16, th this describes the place of music. This is why we sing and why we listen and why we chant and why we applaud and why we lift our voices. Because we teach one another what's true about God and about us. That's why it's so important that as much as we can, we gather together even physically in this room so that we can encourage and exhort one another, spurring one another on to love and good deeds. Finally, verse 17, in every location, in every situation, 
It is the prime context for honoring the name of Jesus. There are no places we go and people we're with where we can just set Jesus aside and say, now I'm on my own. No, Paul says from God, this is true everywhere in every context. Today, we're going to do something a little different. We are going to major on the application of some of the directives in Colossians 3 in those verses and the ones that follow that we looked at last week. In other words, we're going to ask ourselves the question, if this is true, how do I live that out? If this is true, what does that look like? And that's a fair question. We're going to do so by way of a panel. So I'm going to ask three couples to come up here onto the platform and join me uh, in these moments together. These are three couples who are deeply involved, deeply ingrained in the life of Grace Polaris Church. And for many of you, you know one or two uh, or all three of these couples. Uh, the, the men represent uh, three of the elders in our church, uh, having served for various lengths of time, godly ladies that they're married to who are invested in and leading and discipling in various ways. So grateful to have so many like this at Grace and grateful for the courage that these three showed. There is no bribe for coming up here this morning. Um, I'm grateful for the insights that they're going to give, particularly on the topic of marriage and family. Now, a word about listening to a panel. It's different than a sermon or a presentation where there's kind of a logical, coherent uh, argument or case being made for what's true and how we ought to live. Panels are the kind of things that you snatch things that are said. So let me give you a couple of tips on listening to a panel. First of all, pull out your worship program, take some notes. Uh, I hope it doesn't surprise you. You're going to hear some really insightful things today. And they might not even know what insights they're giving. Take some notes. These are important and may connect with you. Think of a person, maybe there are several up here, that you say, I can identify with him or with her, either in my life stage or life stage that I'm going to be at or by personality. And there's someone who's seeking to walk well in following Jesus Christ, and I want to follow along in that way. Uh, don't, don't look for everything to be um, uh, equally relevant for you, but look for maybe three things today that you can take with you and say, that's a reminder of truth from God lived in the life of a person, a couple, a family. And I take that as a reminder for me. I realize uh, that not everyone, certainly in this room, is married, has been married, or will be married. Some of you may sit here and say, marriage and family, well, that's not for me. I guess I'm wasting an hour on Sunday morning. No, you're not. We're part of the body of Jesus Christ. And healthy marriages and families are a big part of what it means to be a healthy Body, a local church, not everything, but a big part. And so part of your presence here is saying, I want that for my church family. But I think there's also relevance to you. Because as we look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and following, these are commands and instructions and directives, not just for people who are married or people who are in physical families, but people who are connected to the body of Christ. And therefore, we together walk in these things. Now, time to meet our distinguished panel here, and hopefully you've given them a good gaze and decided that one of them at least will have something valuable to say to you. Let me introduce them. Over on my left here is uh, Dr. Jim and Linda Augsburger. Uh, Augie, as he's uh, known to many of us, has been on our staff for, I think, about 24 years. They have been married for 50 years this year and just got done celebrating in a special way. They have two children. Sure. 
They're looking at each other in shock. <laughs> they have two children, uh, Ellen and Adam, and three little grandchildren. And if you want an earful, ask them about that, and they'll tell you about those kids. Uh, grateful to have them here. Victor and Laura Melfi to my right here. They've been married 28 years, March of 1994. Is that right? Three months longer than Mike and Letitia Yoder, so they have a lot more wisdom about marriage than we do. They have uh, four kids, uh, Alex, Molly, Mitchell, and Thad. Did I get the right order there? And they've been here for a long time. They look young, uh, but uh, Victor has been here for 37 years, and Laura for 29 years. I guess you dragged her in, right? That was part of the deal. And then uh, Dave and Carly Nicodemus over on my far right. You're familiar with him. Dave's our uh, pastor of students. They have four children, uh, Jack and Henry and Emmy and Charlie. And uh, you certainly know that family. We're grateful for their presence here. They've been married for 15 years. They came in 2007. 18. They've been married for 18. They've been at Grace for 15. I knew I'd mess something up, but that was the only thing today. All right. Let's get to our panel and some questions. And again, have your worship program open to take some notes. And uh, hopefully Colossians chapter 3 as well as we consider what this looks like. First question, real simple one, as many of you who, who want to answer this. This past year has been blank for our marriage, and here's why. Just a sentence or two. This past year has been blank for our marriage, and here's why. All right, I'll start. Um, it was a strain, but very good. Um, my, just a quick one, my father was diagnosed with uh, mesothelioma in May while we were on vacation. And um, uh, after that, I, I came home. I spent almost every day, you know, by his side, taking care of him until he passed in September, which was just really difficult on um, our marriage. But it revealed to me, you know, what I've got in a partner, um, you know, just you know, taking care of everything, making it easy for me to do those things. So that was, that was a, a, a big bonus. So, mm -hmm. yep. I would say for us, the word I would use is an adjustment. Um, coming off a year of COVID where we had a lot of free time and we're home a lot more to them being fully open and four kids and their activities, um, quite the shock to the system to be so busy. And then to add to the mix, I'm, I had been mostly stay-at-home mom for 14 years, and then I started work full-time last year as things started opening up. So adjusting um, life balance and work and ministry, and then giving us plenty of opportunities to um, adjust and to communicate and to work through those things. Yeah, you've described this as like we're in the season of life where we're like two ships passing in the night and just kind of wave as we go by running the chauffeur, chauffeur runs and all of the activities and things. So like this season and then both working, like Carly said, it's, it's been a transition. Well, we're kind of the opposite. We're at the other end of busyness. Um, although retirement doesn't mean not being busy, but this year gave us a chance to sort of reevaluate our busyness and um, we enjoy the not busyness um, and we looked at our community and and since there wasn't much we could do about political or health issues um, we could do something about our community and trying to keep the restaurants open and um, so we did focus on um, carry out 
uh, more than we would. So uh, it, it, this year brought us out more than it pulled us in because I think naturally we'd like to be pulled in um, and we have that ability. All right, now I want you to think through your 50 or 28 or 18 years of marriage. What would you say is the biggest challenge of marriage for you? I, I, as I look over 50 years, I think the biggest challenge over those years was just the time that uh, we could focus on each other. Obviously, when, you're, when the kids are in school and they're growing and you're taking care of them, uh, you have businesses, you have work, uh, you have church and Bible studies and all that. You get so busy that uh, you don't have time to focus on one another. And uh, so we learned over a period of years that sometimes we just needed to get away, away from the kids, away from the the practice away from the church and just spend some quality time together focusing on one another. So let me play the devil's advocate here. What about the couple that's 10 or 20 or 30 years younger and says, Dr. Augsburger, that's a great idea, but you don't remember what life was like 30 years ago. Is that possible to get away and to actually have focused time together? I probably don't remember 30 years ago, but... Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think it is. I mean, you'd have to obviously make arrangements for kids and all those kind of things. But, uh, you know, we as a church, I'm sure there are people who help look after your kids so you can just get away. And it doesn't have to be far away. Just um, we, we always said when we had vacation time, we would always get away someplace. So the, um, the everyday problems that came wouldn't be here. We'd be someplace else. We're going to drop our kids off at your house next weekend. Nice. Okay, nice. that's fine. Yeah, we have a basement they can go into. <laughs> um, I would say for us, it is um, probably communication. And then kind of alongside that is expectations, which kind of goes hand in hand with communication, I think. Um, when we were first married, high school and college, I was really into like, you know, the Christian romance novels and things like that. And I realized very quickly that, wow, this is setting Dave up for failure because I'm reading all these stories about, you know, the perfect husband that, you know, does all these things and there's roses and candles every night and, and that's not fair to him. That's not real life. And so um, I quickly realized I had to get rid of that portion and then I switched to um, true crime dramas. So now he looks great all the time, all the time. But yes, yes. <laughs> Um, no, but really expectations and like even just a real life example. I was gone yesterday and um, he's been gone a lot and busy a lot the last couple of weeks. And so I had in the back of my mind, there's a couple of things that need hung on the wall or like a shelf and he's assembled. And I thought this is a great day for Dave to do it because he's home today and I'm going to be out and about and then come home and they were not done. And so I'm disappointed. But on the other end, he spent a whole day, you know, investing in our kids and taking them places and playing games with them. And if I had just said up front, hey, it'd be great if you found time to do this today, he would have been like, sure. But instead, I came home like, oh, and then he felt, oh. so I think just that communication expectations has always been. And then we're both anti-confrontational, I think, a lot. And so that's really easy to be like, there's an issue here. Let's just pretend it's not there and ignore it for as long as we can until it surfaces. Yep, I agree with everything that was said. But the communication part, um, 
is is a struggle and and like i said earlier just the season of life too is really hard to find time to communicate right when we get ready to talk about something there's an interruption or a need or or something or the times that we got used to like having from eight o'clock on it now doesn't exist anymore it's it's 11 o'clock or or midnight or something like that so i'm looking at my son <laughs> but no that's just the stage of life we're in right now and so like those those moments where we could like have undivided attention in a given day are just are gone. I would say one of the other biggest struggles for us and is just personally is is having spiritual conversations. Um, it's it's a little bit of work and it, it might sound weird coming from a pastor like spiritual conversation. We talk about church and we talk about ministry and serving together and and people and great things like that all the time. We're always having those conversations, but the conversations of how's your heart and what are you getting out of the Bible study that you're doing right now? And those kind of like deeper spiritual questions. For some reason, I avoid those sometimes and don't intentionally go deep. And so, and I know that that has some, has had some residual effect. I totally agree with that. Um, those, yes, ditto, ditto, agree, agree. Um, one of the biggest things for me too is to remember that Victor has my best interest in mind. Um, he is on my side. He is not against me, even though some days I feel like he's against me. Um, but um, just remembering that is difficult for me. Um, uh, and when we're going through a rough time or things like that, when I feel like he's against me, I, I got to remember this isn't going to last forever. This, this is a valley we're going through, and then we'll get to a high place. But I feel like marriage is this kind of up and down, and, um, you know, love perseveres, it says in Corinthians. And so I need to remember that. Um, so. And I just need to make a quick statement before I continue. I know you're asking us about challenges and everything. I absolutely love being married. I love the ups and downs. I love the variety, um, the chaos. You know, I might be just a glutton for it, but I absolutely love being married. So um, I know that we're going to say a lot of the things that are difficult and stuff, but please leave here knowing that I love being married to Laura. But um, one of my struggles is the little things. She talked about, you talked about reading Christian romance novels and stuff. And I think that it would be nice for my wife to show up with her friends and go, you're not going to believe the cool thing that Victor did for me. Well, that just doesn't happen. That's not my strength. I have to continually work on that to make her feel appreciated. Um, I'm just not good at that. And that's a struggle for me. It's always been. And I know it goes a long way for her. Um, the, um, she read a book when we first got married. Um, the, what was it Five Love Languages? Yeah. And she absolutely loves that. I don't know if you've ever read that. Um, I eventually said, she kept asking me, asking me, asking me. Eventually, said, "My love language is for you to stop asking me what my love language is." <laughs> uh, you know, it's just you know, and I've I've said this before. I heard somebody say this at a marriage conference one time: "Is just be nice, you know, be nice to me, and I want to be nice to you." And you know, it's like of all people you should be nice to, it's your spouse, you know. And uh, that that really, and she she's really nice to me. <laughs> but, I just uh, want to. Uh, piggyback on that that um, sometimes I find myself being nicer to my friends than I am to Augie Uh, we used to tell our kids it's not what you're saying it's the way you're saying it and I I can change a mood really quickly by just the tone of my voice and um, that that's power 
because I don't have to do that. And when I catch myself being dismissive or disrespectful or just kind of critical, um, I can change that. I, I wouldn't do that to a, a friend. Why am I doing it to my best friend? I told you there would be insights here. Careful how you say things. Just be nice. Marriage can be wonderful. Initiate spiritual conversations. And Carly, the takeaway from the morning for every man out here is the bar for candles and and flowers has been massively lowered. And we're all greatly appreciative because now if it comes, it's a gift, not an expectation. Right. Isn't that what you said? Kind of. Just don't kill each other. (laughs) All right. Let's think about the last two years. Have they been any different for marriage and family? And in some ways, the answer may be no, but maybe yes. So as you think about it for yourself or maybe what you've observed out there with others, what have you noticed? Personally? Either way. Well, we kind of cheated because we homeschooled our kids. And, uh, <laughs> so, and I had my office at home. So when COVID hit, it just was like, okay. <laughs> Let's stay at home like we're doing and, and everything. So, and, and my kids came home from college saying that uh, we were, we were uh, completely prepared for this moment through homeschooling. So, so when they went online. But for us, in the big picture, was um, things slowed down. And um, I know there's been a lot of negative, but slowing down life was, man, it was fantastic. Um, lots of family time. Um, I know in some families it, it created more issues because there was more family time. Um, for us, our kids came home from college. Um, we had still had two at home. Um, we had a blast. I mean, I did. <laughs> so it was chaotic and wonderful and, and everything like that. And, and for me, it, it just enhanced our marriage because when I'm busy, I'm not a good husband. Hmm. Just plain and simple. I'm busy. I'm thinking of other things. I'm not thinking of our marriage and how to make that better. I'm thinking on, you know, how to do X, Y, and Z at work. So um, it was good. So, yeah, the coming home, you know, you got one or two kids and they come home and it, and you know they're there, you know, those kind, like they live out loud, like everywhere they go, there's stuff on the floor and there's... So I, I know that doesn't have to do with marriage, but yet it affects how him and I relate to one another. And, you know, you're frustrated with your kids, and then you're frustrated with your husband, and then you're just frustrated. And um, so I, I see that in other marriages, too, people getting frustrated. And I feel like I had a revelation a couple years ago where I thought, you know, Victor's done this for me and this, and we have a home to come home to, and I have a bed to lay my head in, and, you know... It, this is all good. What's my problem? Why am I upset? And I thought he could be perfect and do everything right. And I would still find something wrong that he's done. And I thought, wow, I need to change my thinking. I need to, I need to realize he's not perfect. And I know that, but I need to internalize that. And I need to, um, you know, find contentment in, what I have going on. And so um, that was just a big eye-opener in me. We joke sometimes that we miss the days of lockdown because it was just more simple. And for us with the four kids, 
Um, spending time together as a family where we're not at an activity for someone is rare. So we really took advantage of the time to, we live right by Sherwood's Metro Park and we hardly ever go there. But during the stay at home time, it was great. We went on a lot of hikes and bike rides and things like that. And we realized we need to prioritize this and um, make, make time for it. I know that's not true of everyone, but like COVID, politics, all of the things that people fight about and stuff, I've been really grateful we're on the same page on so much of that, and that has been such a blessing. Um, so like throughout the last couple of years, that kind of stuff for us personally and our immediate family hasn't been an issue. Actually, a bigger, rougher season for Carly is probably football season, and she's grateful that that's <laughs> ending very soon. And But... That's a harder season than COVID season. Uh, but we, we really enjoyed that time together. And it feels like it was nice to come to kind of like things were canceled for us. We didn't have the responsibility of that. But coming out of it, this season right now is, and it's probably our stage of life somewhat. It feels like we're trying to make up for lost time and all the things we didn't get to do for six, eight months. Now it's hyperspeed of like, let's fit everything in. And now we feel like we're even faster than before sometimes. So it's a difficult season. But on the flip side, I mean, we saw in my own family, even my own sister, um, COVID, where they were forced to be home, a lot of things that had been boiling under the surface came, you know, to full explosion and ended, you know, in separation and divorce. And that happened with some friends of ours also. So we are super thankful that during that time, um, that wasn't the case. But I know that for a lot of people, that it was a time where you were forced to be together and then a lot of things came to the surface. I think the biggest thing that I saw, not so much in our family, but other families, was the, the, the process of isolation. You know, the kids, their grandkids couldn't go to school. They were, you know, they were, I was going to say stuck at home. They were able to stay home. And, uh, uh, but it worked both ways. You know, as people were isolated, they, they were with their families all the time. And sometimes those little, little things that bug you, but you kind of forget about it, when, when they bug you over and over and over again, they become issues and stuff. So, you know, the, the whole isolation thing was tough. And, you know, uh, in the older generation that we would put ourselves in, um, you know, there was a time at the beginning of COVID where people said, you know, if you're over 65 and you get COVID, you're going to die. So, you know, you had to be very, very careful and isolate even more uh, because of, uh, of the, uh, the statements that were going around. All right, let's think back to last week. If you remember that little passage where uh, Paul doesn't give a lot of nuance and a lot of description. He talks to wives and husbands and children and parents. And of all the words he chooses, he talks about submission with wives and he talks about sacrificial love with husbands. What does that mean to you? How do you seek to live out what uh, those family directives are? Well, let me start with the loved one since that's the exhortation to, to husbands, you know, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting today. To, today you hear people, well, I fell in love with so-and-so. Then you hear, uh, we fell out of love. You know, and you got to kind of think, well, what's your definition of love? And I, I've put this definition together over the years, and it says that love is an attitude of action that serves the eternal interests of the other according to God's word. In other words, it's, it, love, is not, love is not a, a feeling. It's an attitude that we have. 
And it's, it's an action, an attitude of action. That means you have to work at it. And I think the biggest thing over 50 years is love is we've had to work at it. <laughs> it hasn't not been easy. But why do we do it? So we can hold the interests of our spouses um, so that they can be the very, very best that they can be uh, for your eternal purposes. And we do that, what we've studied the last two weeks, according to God's word. So, um, and that wasn't always easy to do. I mean, it was so much of feelings, especially when we were first married. But it's something over 50 years that we had to work at and work at and work at because love you have to work at. Love is, it's not all the feelings, even though it's nice when the feelings come with it. But um, that passage in Colossians, it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of the application of everything that came before it in that chapter. And we read some of those verses already here at the beginning of this. But even going back further than that, setting your, your minds on things above, setting your hearts on things above. Um, and then it goes through a whole list of like, get rid of all these sins and then put on Christ and it says, don't lie to each other. Like all of those things from Colossians 3, like lead up to, and now submit to your husband and love your wife. And that's kind of like, now apply all of that chapter, all of those things of like seeking after God and, and, and being the right person and pursuing Jesus first and do that in the context of this relationship. The hard part about this relationship is that Carly's a sinner and so am I. And we're two sinners that are bumping into each other all the time. Mm -hmm. And so we need to constantly be working at that. But realize that. I think that's really important. It's easy to think, well, I, I loved you the way I wanted to love you. That wasn't necessarily the way you wanted to be loved or that you needed to be loved in that moment. And I could just be like, well, I'm going to be stuck in that. Come on, that's the way I loved you. I did it. And that's not how Christ loves the church. I mean, he laid down his life for us. I'm going to piggyback on that, um, just the whole um, submitting to Christ, because, you know, there are days I feel like a maid, and that's all I'm doing. I'm running Hotel Melfi, and I'm picking up stuff, and I'm washing dishes, and I'm just cleaning up messes, and, um, you know, and, um, and I put that on myself, but I want to think, oh, if Victor would just do this, or if he would just, you know, his size 14 shoes are out there again for me to trip over. And so, you know, I just think, Laura, submit to Christ. I'm submitting to Christ. And so in my, in my mind, submission and love kind of, they go hand in hand, really. You know, it's serving him and um, serving him well so that he can go out and be the man that Christ wants him to be and do the job that he's supposed to be to do. And, um, um, but yeah, that just submitting to Christ, just changing my attitude. It's, it's not Victor making me do this or whatever. It's I'm submitting to Christ. So um, that the love passage in Corinthians about um, love is not self-seeking. Um, I constantly remind myself of that. Um, uh, keeps no records of wrong. Uh, I constantly remind myself of that. Uh, and um, just that love always perseveres. One more thing on, on submission. Um, Carly's job, like it says in there, to, to submit, but if submission is work for you or su submission is work for Carly, that should be a red flag that I'm not loving. Submission should be the response to my loving first, and it, honestly, submission should be an easy thing if I'm doing my job. I, let me, uh, one more thing, sorry, sorry. Um, I, I just, 
you know, sometimes Victor and I don't agree about things. And, and there's been some serious discussions. I know. Can you believe it? Um, and so, you know, I, um, I just have to say sometimes I don't agree with you. And, but you're the head of this household, and I will support you in this. So I make sure he knows <laughs> where I stand. Um, but, you know, as a united front, we want to come across to our kids that we're together in this. And so um, that's, that's kind of been a huge thing for me, kind of freeing that, you know, he knows where I stand, but I'm going to support you in this. So um, did I have something else to say? I don't know. <laughs> I'm good. I think, too, to remember that... Um um, that love is unconditional and not conditional, and I think I'm very prone to be reactionary in my choosing to show, you know, love or affection. Like, you know, Dave didn't meet A, B, and C, so I'm just gonna, you know, chill by myself for a little bit and not. And that's not. I mean, I love the passage where it says um, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't. It doesn't say that once we got our act together, then he died for us. It says while we're in the midst of our sin, he died for us. And I think that's in marriage too. Like. I need to love Dave even when he's not lovable, and he definitely does it. Probably a better job for me than I do for him, but I'm usually waiting for him to make that first, that first step, and then I will respond, and um, that's not what God calls us to do. We've got just a few minutes uh, left here. Let's switch a little bit from marriage to family or parenting in particular. Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge for parents now or maybe from your view as grandparents. Um, what, do you, what do you see for believers who are seeking to honor the Lord? What are they facing right now that is challenging? Well, um, I think the biggest challenge for young people today is we live in a me society. Um, it, you know, you're constantly posting, hey, look at me, this is what I'm doing. I'm talking about a little bit older kids. You know, um, you know, there's always, you know, there's always, a, they call it the subtle flex or the humble brag of, I'm going to post something um, that sounds might be humble, but in the meantime, I'm going to show you what I'm doing and, and, and look at me. So um, it, it's a struggle, and I think, um, you know, to, to teach kids humility is really difficult in, in today's day and age, and um, and, you know, trying to model that for them <clears throat> when I'm posting about myself. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't post. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, it's, you know, a trying time for them. It's, it's a tough, tough road for them. So. I, I think um, priorities. Uh, it, it's hard when you're in the middle of everyday decisions over and over and over. Someone's always coming at the parent um, for a decision or a, you know, to referee something. And I, I think it helped me. Um, our kids were um, individuals from the time they were uh, babies. Uh, they just were obviously had their opinions. And so we had to decide, and sometimes moment by moment, not consistently even maybe, um, is this the hill to die on? You know, am I going to fight about the color, the tint of my daughter's hair? Purple was fine if other things were in order. So um, just not, not making everything an issue. 
uh, blowing it out of proportion because that it's easy to react and let and let that happen. It's harder to hold back and say, "Okay, purple's good." <laughs> Can I put the two of you on the spot? I'm going to anyway. Uh, we have a number of grandparents here, and often grandparents will watch their children parent your grandchildren. How do you do that? How do you know when to say something and when to bite your tongue, how to say it? How, how can you be Christian grandparents for the best interest of your kids and those grandkids? Uh, you spend a lot of time praying. Uh, uh, you know, it's, you can make suggestions, but it's their family, and they're going to make the dis- final decisions. Uh, you, you try to base it on God's word, and, um, but it's very, very difficult at times. Um, Especially in this busy, busy world that they live in. It's, they're going here, they're going there, they're going to practice, they're going to basketball, whatever it is. So it's hard. So I, I think you can speak into their lives in a good way, in a quiet way. Uh, but you really, I don't, you just can't tell them what to do. I mean, it's, it's, it's their family. Um, I think sometimes you just don't give advice. We, if we're not asked, we, we, we try to not give an opinion or give advice. So we have these conversations of, well, this and that. And so we, we talk through what we want to say, uh, but we don't. Uh, and so we have to get it out, we have to give our good advice to somebody. So we give it to each other. Excellent advice. That's great. I think there's this pressure that continues to get worse um, with parents wanting their kids to be the best at something or to excel, whether it's sports or school. And um, I feel like our kids are fortunate to be here at Winston Christian with um, private school, but I think you see it a lot where, like, you know, you're doing everyone's doing the private lessons and the club sports and all these things. Um, which aren't bad in itself, but I think it's a lot of pressure on on kids to do that. And um, as parents, us putting that expectation because we want it to be a reflection of us. Like, look at my kid who is the best at this or who is the top of their class in this, and that's not fair, I don't think, to our kids. Um, along the same lines, too, even when our kids are little, we want them to look good because we, we feel like it's a reflection on us as parents when we find out that they acted out in Sunday school class or, or whatnot, and that's not fair either. And um, Karen Book is my Bible study leader, and she always says that we are not our children's Holy Spirit. And so to rem- remember that, um, you know, if they accepted Christ and they have the Holy Spirit, he's working in their life, and that our behavior modification to make us look good is not, is not helping them. We just need to be prayerfully supporting them and, and guiding them back to Scripture, but that the Holy Spirit will work in their life, and it, that's not our responsibility to, you know, follow them and help them make those decisions like them. I think what ramps up that pressure, too, on parents and on the kids is the supercomputers that we carry in our pockets. Like, all of those things that are true maybe have always been true of, like, lessons and caring about those things, but now it's all on display. It's on display, and so now we get to see so-and-so's doing this, and so oh, now I have to measure up. And, and the kids are seeing that and feeling that, even if it's, it can be a fun tool in a lot of ways, it can be useful, but it, it ramps up so much pressure. You know, when there's a notification, I have to respond to it. And it just hurries our lives up so much that it's hard to have, it's hard for kids to have quiet. It's hard for, for kids to have a moment to open up their Bible or to be bored 
to where it might lead them to choose to be creative or do something. There's just those moments are gone. And so things are just constantly calling for attention and then in negative ways that are comparing us and we have to stack up and we have to dress right and we have to look right and we have to do the right things. And that pressure just causes anxiety and all kinds of stresses that cause us to crumble a little bit. All right, last question as we wrap up. Real brief, if you could give one piece of biblical advice to married couples, to a father, to a husband, uh, husband to a wife, to a mother, uh, choose, choose one piece of scriptural advice that you'd give to us. Go. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. I was able to officiate at my niece's wedding last weekend. And whenever, whenever the vows came up, it always makes me think. And, you know, the, 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 I say to the, to the people, before God and these witnesses, in other words, the marriage vows are covenants made between the husband and the wife, but also before God. And, um, you know, it goes on to say, you know, in sickness and in health, in rich or poor, and, you know, good times and bad times. And my one advice would be occasionally look at your, look at your uh, vows. Remember the vows that you gave your partner uh, before God. And uh, it, it, it makes you really think about uh, how you've treated your spouse and um, kind of gives you a little kick and uh, to do the things that you promised her or him and also promised God. And um, so my encouragement would be occasionally just sit down and think about the covenant, the pledge, the promise that you made. Maybe one more? I'd say perspective in a lot of ways. This can fit for marriage and for family and parenting. And I, I turn to Romans 5 on this where it says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. But we want to fast forward to the hope and, and skip over the process that gets there. And so like a perspective of marriage is going to be hard work. Parenting is going to be hard work. It's not meant to be easy. It's meant to be worked for, but it's good. And so that suffering produces perseverance, character, and then hope. And then hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. He hasn't left us alone in that. He's given us hope, but he's given us a process to get there. And so we want to insulate ourselves and run from all of the things that actually lead to our good. Now it's time for me to introduce uh, the panel here. And uh, many of you know uh, some of them, if not all of them. Let me start to my left here. Um, Bernie and Wendy Waller, they've been part of our church for a long time, married 49 years. So Bernie, 50 years, this is pretty good. Actually, I should say Wendy. Good job for lasting 49 years here. They have two kids. You might know them, uh, Mandy and Nate. They have six grandchildren, and they've been at Grace for 42 years. Wow. Okay, over on the far end, Dr. Bob and Stephanie Lamont. They've been part of our church family for a long time, 36 years. Bob, you're looking for someone? It's you I'm talking about here. Don't worry, they can see you on the screen. They have four children, all daughters, uh, Chelsea, Nina, April, and Shannon, eight grandchildren. Do I have that right? Eight grandchildren, and they have been here at Grace for 34 years. And then right to my right here, Jonathan and Kim Wiley, they've been married for 15 years. They have three kids, 
Kate, Jackson, and Harrison. Uh, Kim's been here, part of our church, since her high school days. Jonathan came in 2004, and they got married a couple of years later. I'm really grateful for each one of you couples to come up here and uh, be transparent with us about God's work in your life, struggles and victories and successes and ways in which God is at work. So let's get right to it and pepper them with questions. This is one of my most enjoyable things where I get to play pretend journalist and ask the hard questions and make other people answer. All right, let's start out with an easy one here. When you think back to the past year, you would say it like this. The past year has been blank in our marriage, and here's why. The past year has been blank, fill in that sentence, and here's why. Just real briefly, a few of you speak to that. All right, I'll jump in here. Uh, I'm going to answer that question after I answer what the first 15 years, or I guess the only 15 years of our marriage have been. Um, I would say the first 15 years I characterize as a renovation or a makeover, and I assume that that's going to continue. But the last year, I would use the word hopeful, and this is a word that we talked about even together last night. And for different reasons, um, we have uh, learned in our marriage that we're very different, that we think differently. We have uh, different ways of communicating, and so we can say one thing, and it comes across entirely opposite of what we thought we were saying, all kinds of things like that. And that can lead to some tension and uh, misunderstanding, um, and you may understand that yourself if uh, you're in a relationship that's close like that. So anyhow, God has helped us in this last year, I would say, uh, to begin to see some things actually take root uh, as he's working in us um, uh, to help us grow in our relationship, and uh, I expect that to continue. Others, the past year has been? I would say it's been good for our marriage because specifically we've been going through the journey study with our grace group and working through that as a couple has really been beneficial to us. I have to comment here. Um, it has, it's been really, really good, but what, uh, I'm listening to you, Jonathan, and, and you've seen the differences that you see. Stephanie and I, as we contemplated these questions, I'm like, we are so much alike. And, and um, we are. We're both, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, like firstborn kids, okay? And that probably says it right there. But we are so similar. We're very different, but we're so similar. And that's where the rub has been for us, which we'll get to. So much for us to explore already here. Wallers, you uh, want to step on a landmine? <laughs> we, we are both retired, so we've spent a lot more time at home than we expected to be this past year. Especially, we like like we we're planning on doing some traveling, and we have a camper trailer, but that that's been disrupted. We had plans to go to um, Outer Banks for a week with our kids and grandkids. But uh, COVID came along, and it um, canceled that trip. So we've been home on each other's nerves a little bit more than expected. <laughs> this is great. And you know, one of their children, their daughter, brought her whole family from California just to hear in person mom and dad talk about their marriage. So you didn't travel far to hear this. Okay, let's get into that. Not just the last year, but your married life. If someone could, uh, if someone would ask you, what's been the biggest challenge of marriage for you, what would you say? I'll go. <laughs> That's easy. Um, 
<laughs> and it's not because it's Jonathan. It's, it's easy. Because it would be very easy for me to sit here and say communication, because that's true. Um, lack of good communication. Um, you know, our differences, um, the fact that he doesn't do everything that I want him to do. You know, it'd be really easy to look at those externals. But the truth is, it's, it's me. That's the biggest challenge in my marriage. It's my selfishness. It's my lack of spiritual maturity. It's my lack of focus on the right thing. And I have lived a lot of my marriage, um, of our marriage, focused with the idol of a good marriage and looking at those externals and saying, if I could check these things off, this is what makes a good marriage. But what I'm super excited about is that the Lord has really captured my heart in these recent years and shown me that it's, it's about the heart. And that he's not content to let me have a marriage that looks good, um, to see me being submissive and my heart being just still resenting Jonathan. You know, um, so I think it's been easy for me to live with just disappointment that this is kind of the way marriage is. And I'm just resigned to um, not having a lot of joy. And, you know, it's, it's hard because people don't know that. It's easy to hide that and to look good. And... Um, to be really honest, I mean, the Lord is just truly teaching me. He wants all of me, and he wants me to apply the truth of the gospel in every area of my life. And when I do that and I get it right and I seek him first, then the communication is going to follow. And then um, having joy, even when the circumstances aren't everything that I want them to be. So I'm really grateful for the work that God's doing. And it's hard. I would much rather put a Band-Aid over, you know, a quick fix. Let's go get a communication class. Let's do all the things and let's just take care of it like that. But I'm so grateful that God's not content to let me do that, that he is more interested in my heart and me trusting him. And that's really what it comes down to. It's trust. Do I trust God with my marriage or am I busy trying to make it my own? So um, I, don't, I don't even know what the question was. <laughs> Good thought. What else? Biggest challenge as, as a married couple or for you? Just to kind of um, shirt tail onto that, for me, is what it boiled down to is, are we united in our final decision of whatever we're making a decision on? Um, and that's tough. And it's learned. I had to learn it. It didn't come naturally to me. But that was a center core of what we had to learn to do as married. Hmm. I, I, it wasn't this pastor, but the last several years, our biggest challenge was dealing with aging parents. And those out of you that are older in the congregation might have experienced this, or we would encourage those middle-aged couples to, to prepare for uh, to caring for older parents. It, it reduces the stress a whole lot if you do confront your parents. Our, our parents would not address that issue, so it, we had to do a lot of work later in life on that for them. Uh, my dad came to live with us for a year and a half, and it was, it was, that responsibility went on to Wendy, which, which really is tough on our marriage. Her mom um, had, came to a nursing home here in Westerville and spent a lot of time there, so that was stressful. Um, and um, it, it's just good to make those plans ahead, wills um, and um, property and whatever. Uh, we've even discussed this a little bit with uh, our daughter and her son-in-law, and uh, who's going to care for who? And my daughter says, "Well, Mom, you can come live with us, but Dad, you're never, never going <laughs> to." Fortunately, she was smiling somewhat at the time, 
So I'm grateful for that, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> I totally concur. It's, it's interesting how um, your answers just resonate positively, you know, like in my mind, in my heart, just the same. I would say things essentially the same way. I would add then to that, I think that um, um, as a firstborn, I think that I've really learned I, I tend to like to be at the front of the pack. I tend to appreciate my opinion a lot, probably too much. And... Um, we agree on this, right, Steph? And, and um, so compromise, right? Sometimes, you know, and I really thought about this question. I thought in myself, my selfishness, it's just, it is so deep. You know, when you just feel like you got control of it, you find more of it. And that is a huge challenge in compromise. My, I, I think, you know, we're, we're thinking of something, and she wants blue, I want yellow, it comes out green, and neither one of us are really happy with that. Um, that's, it's a, that's a deep issue. We could write books on this. Uh, there's a quote for you there. I really appreciate my opinion a lot. I'm going to have to use that <laughs> later on. No, thanks for your transparency. You did. Um, let's think a little bit about the last year or two, because this has been a bit of a pressure cooker for everyone, but particularly in families and, and marriages. Um, how's it affected your marriage, your family? And maybe if I could throw another question in there, what have you observed in its effect on other people around you, uh, particularly family life and marriage, the last couple of years? I'd say for us, uh, Bob's work slowed way down with COVID, and so we've had more time together. And we've you know, found some new hobbies to enjoy together, but also it's kind of revealed those communication issues that we've had that um, Kim was talking about. And in the past, we could just sweep it under the rug because we were too busy to deal with it, and we got to move on and get the kids here or there, whatever. Um, but now we're working on it more, and I really credit that journey study that I alluded to before and just learning to let the Holy Spirit lead us and um, by confessing our sins and the, you know, all the junk and that's a moment by moment thing um, and we're practicing now and Bob put a reminder in his phone to have communication practice daily we don't do it daily but at least it's at least it's um, you know in our minds now I think for us just the pace of life like they said it's, it caused us to it was really a blessing I feel like we were able to talk about some of the issues that, um, you know, the cultural things that maybe we found that we were on the same page more than we would have known. Um, I think one of the challenges in the two years, in addition to those blessings, one of the challenges has just been um, for even for our kids who are young to be presented with the um, kind of this format of online church and so much online communication that it's been a substitute. And, I, and I'm, I really see that in our culture that now it's kind of a choice where before it wasn't as much a choice where it's, it became the norm. So to, to continue to um, work with our kids, especially who haven't experienced so much life prior to COVID and um, all the stay-at-home orders, that um, this isn't God's best for us to be apart from one another and um, to really work with them to see that this is what the body is for and, and not to just take an easy out when you don't want to see somebody on social distancing, you know, just that it's not a good option long term. Mm -hmm. So to fight that. I would also just add, if I could step into a responding uh, role, um, 
the older you get, the more uh, time frames seem rather short. But when I think about our kids, two years of whatever you want to fill in the blank with is an eternity for them. And to be able to say to them, this, it's not always been like this, and this isn't necessarily very ideal. Uh, a lot of sympathy and empathy for our children and the eternity that the last two years have felt like, I think is important as uh, parents and grandparents. Yeah, this past year, our daughter-in-law, Nikki, became very ill. And so their family came and stayed with us for about a month off and on. And, and that was a real joy. Um, but when and I learned or had forgotten, remembered now what it was like to have three little kids come charging into your bed at 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and that... Uh, um, Cuts down a little bit on our prayer time and on our cuddling time, right? I have to be careful what I say because I've been warned to use my filters. So, so. And this is why your daughter said that you can't come and live with her. <laughs> exactly. So there are some advantages to being empty nesters. You don't have to say anything with me. Bob, I want to put you on the spot. You're a pediatrician, and so you have seen lots of young parents and kids come in. What have you noticed in the last year or two that have, uh, that have been extra stressors or realities for families and marriages? <clears throat> Gosh, we could write books about this, too. Um, okay, let me choose a couple of things. Um, so I would say that the... Isolation that's been created, the uncertainty. I think young minds, I'm going to speak to 12, 12 years old and younger. I'm going, to, I'm going to narrow my focus, my answer. So children about 12 and younger think very linearly, very abstract, not abstractly. They see things that they probably can't completely understand and interpret, but it creates a lot of anxiety. And I have seen anxiety in children escalate, I would never have predicted or would have expected such anxiety. There's one thing that, that almost, well, I don't want to say everyone coming into the office, but many, the majority, anxiety. And then dealing with that, the ramifications that has with relationships, huge. Hmm. <clears throat> All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Last week, we looked at that passage, Colossians 3, 18 to 21, real specific things that uh, God through Paul says to wives and to husbands, to children and to parents. In the context of marriage, uh, God is uh, saying to men, love your wives sacrificially. God's saying to women, uh, willingly submit to your husbands as to the Lord. What does that look like? What, what's the challenge of that for, for you to live out as a follower of Jesus? All right, I gotta be careful, but here we go, because I do appreciate my opinion, as I said. Right? <laughs> but, but all kidding aside, um, yeah, this, this question stood out to me, and I kind of, God, really, I dwelled on this, this quite a bit. Let me see if I can connect the dots for you in a succinct way. Um, um, so um, I'm called, you know, to love Stephanie as Christ loved the church, to give myself up for her. Um, he later says in, in other passages in Ephesians, that I am to love her as myself. And I'm like, okay, I can understand that pretty well, being selfish. I, I, 
see what that is, meeting needs and everything. But in the end of Ephesians, he, in 5, he tells us, you know, to, that I am to love her uh, and honor her, and she is to respect me. So um, where my mind went with this was in loving my wife, I need to love Jesus Christ as a believer. I think this speaks to believers. I think my relationship with Jesus, with God the Father, understanding the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, really, and my relationship with God, our triune God, has to, has to be number one in order to love my wife the way he expects me to and to be able to uh, live a life that glorifies him, which is what we ought to be doing. Good thoughts. God's directive to husbands and to wives. What else? Well, I think this is a particular hot spot and challenge in relationships. And as a husband, uh, you know, Bob, you said that so well. I'm to love Kim sacrificially uh, to give myself up for her. And that's not an easy thing to do because that's contrary to how I'm wired to, to think and to behave for myself. Um, I think part of the challenge that we have when we come to these, this type of encouragement, challenge, admonition, is that um, we fail to forget or fail to remember that God is the one who's created marriage and he's given us the guide map and the, the blueprint for how it can be uh, successful and how we can thrive together. And so when we want to resist that because of how we're naturally wired, we're resisting God's very best for us. And so it, it's a whole lot easier to talk about it than to live it. And that's what I've learned in marriage. Uh, 15 years ago, I could have talked about it. We can, it's easy to talk about. It. It's really difficult to live out. And uh, is it easier for a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church? Think about that. Is it, or is it easier for a wife to uh, respect the authority and leadership or submit to that? We'll use that word because that's what the scriptures say. Um, to her husband. And uh, I think it's probably more challenging depending on which uh, assignment you have. If whatever assignment you have, that's the most challenging one. And I think I've learned to be less concerned about how Kim uh, does what God wants her to do and just to focus on what God wants me to do. Because the reality is she's sinful and she's not always easy to love. And the reality is I'm sinful and I'm not easy to follow. And a lot of times I She's got a really difficult job uh, to, to respect me and to, to submit to our leadership. God has given me an incredible woman, and uh, she's very talented. She's uh, a quick, decisive, take-action type of person. And I'm a slow, um, thoughtful, let's think this out, let's sleep on this. Um, and sometimes that puts her in a really difficult spot because... Uh, we have to learn how uh, to interact together. And I'm convinced that God knows how our relationship can best thrive and most bring him glory. And it's as we seek to become a team together. Um, and uh, my leadership or the, the leadership that God has entrusted to me that I'll give an account to him to someday um, is to be used in such a way that our teamwork and our uh, ability as a team is elevated. And... I think I'm just becoming more cognizant of that. If our team doesn't win, then I'm a poor leader. And um, 
I hope and I pray, and that's part of my prayer, is that God continues to help us grow as a team. Uh, and now get the no. <laughs> no, real quick, I think Jonathan is, he's easy for me to respect. I mean, he's a man of integrity. I, I, that was one of the main things that stood out to me and why I chose him as my husband. He is easy, he, he's easy to respect. Um, the loving part, like, you know, we've been talking about, it's hard because I love myself a lot. But um, I think one of the practical, impl- or, uh, just playing this out practically, how do I respect him when I disagree or when I think I have a better solution? Um, I think it's it's being committed to the Lord to say, you know what, I, I really want him to know how I feel. And that's really important to me. Um, I, and then I can go along with it. Like, I don't always agree, but, you know, it's okay to not always agree, but to submit and the Lord's going to work it out in my heart. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm lesser than, and I think that's it. I'm easily offended that if I yield to his authority or his decision, um, a lot of the times we're on the same page, but um, that I'm, I'm offended like I'm not good enough or my brain's not capable enough or, you know, and, and that's just silly. The Lord is so much greater than that and, and he's easy to follow. It's just, I need to love him more than I love myself. So, Good words. After 49 years, final thought? Um, Submit is a tough word, and it's hard to understand. Um, And it was easier for me to understand when I read Ephesians 5.21 a little more closely, because that says, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. So for me to submit to Bernie means there's times when he may need to submit to my ideas or suggestions, and that helped relieve some of the pressure on me, gave me a little more understanding. Um, And also, when I was able to submit and I didn't agree with his decision, the Lord laid it on my heart that By submitting to him, he now bears the responsibility of that decision. He bears the consequences if it was a bad decision, and we learn from it. Um, What helps me to submit when I'm not in the right frame of mind is I repeat um, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 gives you all the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And there's always one of those fruits that calms me down because the Holy Spirit is working in my heart, and I'm grateful for that. And also, I cannot change his mind. I cannot change his attitude, but the Holy Spirit can. So I pray for Bernie as well as for myself. Specific things about the situation, and then I'll choose a scripture to pray for him as well as the fruit of the Spirit, even it's just praying the fruit of the Spirit for him, but to pray that he'll walk in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that he'll walk in the fear of the Lord, and that he'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And the Lord works everything out. He'll either change my attitude, or he'll change Bernie's attitude, and we come together. And that has saved us a lot of <laughs> tension. And again, I had to learn this over the years. And frankly... Lord's still teaching me. Good words. In the few minutes we have left, let's switch a little bit from that to parenting. And let me ask you this question, whatever stage of life you're in. um, What do you think has been the biggest challenge or is the biggest challenge for parents, maybe for grandparents, 
as you seek to follow Jesus Christ. Um, how would you answer that? And a couple of you know the grandparent uh, stage as well. I, I think it's what I call technology. Uh, iPads, cell phones. We didn't have to deal that much with those when we were parents, but we see it as grandparents. Watching the amount of time they're um, online and what they're looking at. Um, I think that's huge today. Who their friends are, so important uh, in relationships and who they select as friends. Wow, I, I would hate to be, I shouldn't say hate, I, I, it, it would be a challenge for me today to be young parents, 20, 30 years old, because things have changed a lot since we were doing that. Um, so I, I remember the first cell phones that came out, our son was on that cell phone all the time, and I was showing him how to work on something on the car, and he's got a call, and he's on his phone, and I says, Nate, if you don't put that phone down, I'm going to put it underneath the tire, and I'm going to run through over that thing and flatten it. So it was so, so technology, that is such a big, big, um, uh, big change and, a, and thing you have to be really sensitive to. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say we have a almost 10, 11, and 12-year-old at home. So we're kind of in the thick of it with kids. Um, I would say, for me, fighting the temptation to parent in the here and now, um, to respond out of frustration or embarrassment and um, parent them in that way, rather than taking the time to address their heart. Um, I think it's a lot easier for parents to just... Um, deal with the externals. Again, it's the same thing as myself. <laughs> it's easy to deal with the external and change behavior modification. is so much easier than really sitting down and walking through the gospel and our kids need that they have for a savior every time in each one of those little instances. That's exhausting as a parent and to have three of them, you know, just um, it's, there's always a need. So, um, you know, fighting that urge to just parent um, with the short term rather than the eternal perspective. Yeah, I'd like to tag on to that, Kim, just a little bit. Um, I think Stephanie and I kind of agree in our answer that, um, and John said it in his in uh, John three, the third book of of first John, second John, third John. How do you say that when you're talking about? Yeah, third John. So, um, but but to see our children walking in truth, that, um, and what my part is in that. God saves, but we have a responsibility, and there's nurturing and presenting information to our children, um, our grandchildren, and that's ongoing. Our neighbors, our friends, I mean, we just extend that, and um, that uh, God impresses that very deeply on our hearts. Yeah, and I think that's our, our uh, biggie. Among Real many. quick to the Lamonts and the Wollers, since you have grandchildren, um, maybe just a word to other grandparents who are sitting here. How do you grandparent well? When do you bite your tongue? When do you say something to your own children? Uh, you love your children. You love your grandchildren. How do you navigate that um, your grandchildren, there's a generation between you? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, so, Michael, and what we had everybody over last night at our house. We had about 15 people over and, and kind of celebrating some birthdays. And... Sorry, Theo, I'm calling you out, buddy. But he was tired, and he was vocal and loud. And I just told Michael, I'm glad it's you, buddy, not me. That's his father. <clears throat> so that's, but, um, yeah, I think um, that's, 
that's challenging. Um, you know, as believers, the, the tool we have is prayer. You know, just pray. You can't pray enough, right, Bernie, for your grandkids. That, I mean, that has really been a tool and a joy for Steph and I, you know, but, but a tool I think that's been helpful. I think, honestly, if you have an opportunity, we're very blessed. We have six of our eight grandchildren are here in town being available for them, I think. It, it just, things come up and live a life well that is worthy and be available might be something. If you have that opportunity, distance makes that really challenging, but I think that's what comes to my mind. Uh, we have to respect that they are now the parents. We are not the parents. They are the parents, and we have to respect their choices and decisions. We can help and support them. We can pray for them. When the kid, grandkids are with us, we can play with them, pray with them, guide and direct them however we can. But we still have to remember that we are not the parents. They are. Maybe a last question here. Uh, lots of people sitting here, different stages of life, different stages of uh, difficulty or health in their marriage or family. What would be one biblical reminder that you would give as practical help to married couples here today, in particular uh, followers of Jesus in general, that would give them hope? What would be one thing that you would want to say to us? I like Philippians 2.13, and the uh, New Living Translation says, for God is working, God is working in you, giving you the, well, I can't read my writing, desire and the power to do what pleases him. And also from Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, that power specifically is the same as that which raised Christ from the dead. That's a lot of power. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power at work in us. It's good. Others? I would say something along the same lines that um, God has made you. He's orchestrated and designed our relationships, uh, husband, wife, family, kids, and he knows what's best. And if there's something wrong in uh, our expression of that, it's not a failure on his part and that we can trust him. And uh, you'd said something about the short-term perspective. So often we're, we're caught in the moment and we need to zoom back and see that God is at work and he's going to carry this out to completion and uh, we can trust him. And so we need to give ourselves fully to him, even if it doesn't make sense and even if others around us would say that it's foolish. Uh, but there's no... Um, better way uh, than to honor him in our relationships uh, and trust him completely, uh, regardless of what makes sense to my sensibilities, and know that he's going to be at work. There's nothing that is too difficult for him. What might seem impossible to me, uh, it's not too difficult for him. And I need to leave that in his hands, and I need to leave myself in his hands and open every heart, every part of my heart and every part of my relationships to him and say, you, you have access here. You have authority here, and I need your help. And uh, he's there. There's nothing that's too difficult for him. Whatever circumstance you're in, whatever circumstances that we find ourselves in, uh, he's our hope. He's our, he's our only hope. We, we can't do If it were just us, we'd be in so much trouble. Um, he's our hope, and he's your hope too. Last word? I think I would, would say to pray for your spouse and let them know that you're praying for them. Um, 
the scripture this morning that Pastor Mike just read says, bear one another. Uh, one example would be this past week I had to go to the dentist, uh, and it was very apprehensive about that. And I went and got back home and says, hey, dear, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. And she says, yes, I prayed for you several times. And I really, really appreciated that. And I think I really draw closer to uh, to her when under those circumstances. For our spouse to know that we're his or her biggest supporter, as God does his work in them and in us, goes a long, long way to seeing health in our marriages and families. I'm really grateful for these three couples and for their example and for their uh, transparency, that God is at work in them. Many of you might remember that two years ago in our Heaven Help the Home series, uh, on a number of occasions, we used video clips from Family Life's The Art of Marriage. And in one of those, it speaks of the fact that our marriages and our families, the relationships we have, are not just limited to that little sphere or that little place, but they're actually saying something bigger. They're saying something about how God can be at work in and through us in ways that make him look good, not just make us satisfied. And I want you to take a look as we close at a clip from The Art of Marriage. My marriage has to tell the truth about God. And that's, I don't, we don't always think about marriage in that light. We think about loving one another, taking them out to dinner, having great vacations, and all that stuff is wonderful, sexual interaction, all that stuff is really great. But the truth of the matter is, the ultimate purpose of a marriage relationship in human history, frankly, is that marriage is to reflect and to tell the truth about the God we're related to and whose image we bear. I think it starts with just recognizing that marriage is more than me. It's, it's not something, it's not a device or an apparatus that God has given us that simply services ourself or simply meets our needs, but it exists for a bigger purpose, a more glorious purpose. And that, that's where we go back to Ephesians 5 and, and, and we're told in Ephesians 5 that, that it is a profound mystery that actually reflects the reality of, of Christ's love for the church. And so it, it, it's being in marriage with the reality that, that while what takes place in our marriage each and every day is significant, it's important, that there's something far more significant and important going on. There, there's a statement, there's a, a testimony, there's a, 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 a parable that's playing out that, that reveals something about God. That, that marriage is embedded in the culture as a gospel testimony that is always making statements. The only question is whether it's a good statement or a bad one.